Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, we just do thank you so much for this time and this place this morning that you've brought us all here together, Lord. I pray now that you would soften up all of our hearts so that your word might land and stick. Lord, I do thank you. Oh boy, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, Lord, and so I, but I thank you for it. Uh, Lord, as we open up your word today, we come prepared to have ears to hear. Lord, speak to us this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, you know, we are continuing through. You, you know, listen, I know that sometimes I can go a little bit long, a little bit long. The entire book of Deuteronomy, the entire book is Moses' message of preparation to them. And it was stretched over days and days and days and days. So I don't actually feel so bad. Moses, see, what he's doing is he's, he's preparing these new, these, this new generation. He's preparing them to go in to this promised land. He promised it to their uh, fathers and their, and their parents, and then their parents, uh, out of fear and disobedience, didn't go in, remember? And then they were uh, made to, to wander until that entire generation died off. And now he's got this new generation. And Moses is preparing them to go in to this place that he has promised them, this amazing place. Remember, we talked about how it's referred to as the land of milk and honey, you know, the, the, the things that you need and all the things that make life sweet. And he's saying, they're all there. And today, you know, maybe, I don't know where we'll get to, but today probably, <laughs> he says, you know, it's amazing. And there's oil presses and, and vineyards and, and literally you'll dig rocks out of the ground and they'll be made out of iron and there's copper and there's all this amazing stuff there. And I'm just trying to prepare you to go in. Now, there's two words to remember as we look through the last part of seven again and into chapter eight. What chapter did I say we were in? Or seven and eight. Wherever I told you to turn to, that's where we're at. <laughs> two words he's going to say, remember? Don't forget. I know that's don't forget two words also. So three words total. Remember and don't forget. And we've talked about what don't forget means, right? Don't forget means not just like, oh, I can't remember. There was something I was supposed to do. No, it means don't set it aside. When he talks about the commands and the judgments that God says, I've given you these things, don't forget them when you go into the land. He's saying, don't set them aside for the sake of other things. And the reason he keeps coming back to that is because the land is also going to be filled with other things that are going to try and draw them away from God. But today he says, remember. Also, he's going to say, remember. You know what remember means? I looked it up. Remember. That's in Hebrew, in Hebrew, it means remember. So, um, but let me just tell you what the dictionary says remember is to be able to bring to mind an awareness of someone or something that ha one has seen, known, or experienced in the past. Now, that's really important. It's a, it's a very accurate word because what God is saying to them through Moses is, and we're going to see today, remember who I am that is bringing you into this new land. Remember. He's not saying don't forget who I was. He's saying remember who I am, but then don't set me aside when you get in. Don't forget. Remember and don't forget. 
You know, I know Jeff covered a lot of this area last week, but God really brought a couple of verses to mind from last week that I just can't help but sharing. Verse 7 of chapter 7 last week, it says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all these people. It's very important because they're going to go in and God is just going to hand them one victory after another and they're going to have all kinds of spoils that come from that and they're going to become really wealthy all of a sudden as well. And God is saying when that all happens, don't start thinking so highly of yourself like thinking, man, we're awesome. Because in verse 7, Moses says, the Lord didn't set his love on you because you're awesome. That's a paraphrase. But that's what he's saying. He didn't set his love. He didn't pick you because you're awesome. He goes, you're the least of any number. In fact, in Hebrew, that word least of all peoples is little one. You're the littlest. Not just in number. right? God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to pick these guys because, man, they're amazing. In fact, God is so frustrated with them over and over again. He keeps on saying, you're stiff-necked. You're disobedient. Every time I tell you to do these things, you do the opposite things. But in verse 7, he says, the Lord did not set his love on you. That word love right there, it actually isn't the same love that comes down below. That, that, lo- that word love in Hebrew, it means um, uh, an invest, to invest in right? To invest in. So that verse is saying, God didn't invest in you because you're awesome. He did it because he, it says in verse eight, he loved you. He loved you. He didn't look at you and say, you're awesome. That's why I wore this shirt today. (laughs) Not awesome. I recognize I am not awesome. God is awesome. Only God is awesome. And only the things of God are awesome. And so when we say something is awesome, it's okay, Jeff. The things that you said awesome about, they were godly good things. They were godly good things. But we sit down and we're like, man, this pizza is so awesome. No, it's not. It's good, probably. It's delicious. It's not awesome. (laughs) You see, the thing is, God didn't choose them because they were valuable. They became valuable because God chose them. Same for you. Same for you. Now, also, the, you, we could get into this place where we say, all right, I get it. God, you know, God picked me to do this thing, to operate in this way. You know, God picked me to do this, what I'm doing right now. God said, you know what, Aaron, this is what I want for you to do. And I could say, oh, great, I didn't ask for this. But I'm here, but it's tempting to get into a place where you're like, well, it's about time that somebody recognized. Eh. Thank you, God, for realizing just how awesome I am and using me in the way that I knew that I should be used in it. And God is like, I- I'm just going to keep reminding you that you're not awesome and that I didn't pick you because you're awesome. I actually, I picked you because you're, you're this, this much awesome, that much. That's about very, very little bit of of awesome. In fact, he did that so that when you all leave here and you're like, man, that was a great message today, (laughs) hopefully. Uh, It won't be because I'm awesome, but you'd be like, man, God really spoke to me today. If you leave today and you said, man, God spoke to me today, then I'm a tool in the hand of the master, right, Courtney? That's right. Courtney made me a plaque in my office and it says, I'm just a tool in the hand of the Lord. I'm just a tool, right? 
Nobody looks at the, the Sistine Chapel and says, those must have been some amazing paintbrushes. <laughs> Nobody says that. Nobody says that because the paintbrush is just the tool that the master creator used to create this amazing thing, and it is the same. And he's going to say here, I, I picked you because I love you. Amen. Not because you're awesome, but because I love you. You know, remember in, in Exodus chapter 19, we talked about when God was talking about the people that he had called out of Egypt. He said in, in chapter 19, verse 5, he said, you are my special treasure, my special treasure. And actually in Hebrew, it says peculiar treasure, which is, I think, more accurate for this group right here. <laughs> peculiar treasure. Some of you are a little more peculiar than others, and that, you know, I count myself in that as well, but God looks and says, you're my peculiar, you're my special treasure, and I love you. I, I love that because I don't have to keep proving myself. He loves me. They, they, they go way off the rails, and God still loves them. God still loves them. <laughs> I'm so glad for that. Well, then skip over to verse 11. He says, therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. He says, keep them and observe them. Keep, understand, do. Keep, understand, do. That's what he's saying. Then it shall come to pass, he says, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep you, keep the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And then 13 through 15, he goes through with these amazing promises. You see, he's going to bless you and multiply you, the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land and grain and new wine and oil and increase your cattle and the offspring of your flock and the land which you swore to your fathers. And you shall be blessed above all people. Do you see what he says? And literally in Greek, it says, if you do these things, then I will do all of these amazing blessed things for you if you are faithful to keep the things that I've called you to do. And remember, remember in the last few chapters what he said, keep these commandments, so, so what? It will be well with you. He keeps on saying, do these things, not so that you'll be more righteous than everybody else. Do these things so it may be well with you. Well, right here in 13 through 15 is the definition of what it means, well with you. you increased you, the fruit of your womb. Increase the... How many of you literally think fruit of the loom when we say... <laughs> I, uh, now you will forever. Always think fruit of the loom. You're welcome. Those were my words. That's not God. You'll be blessed above all people. There will not be a male or female barren among you or your livestock, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and, and afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt. And you might look at that and say, but, but well, hold on a second. That sounds like God said that they would never get sick, but they got sick and died in all sorts of things. And, and I would say, yes, they did. Why? They did not do all of the things. They didn't follow God exactly. If you go through and see a lot of the rules that God set up in the place, a lot of them were so they would not get sick so they would not be injured. They did some. Others, they didn't. The thing is that God didn't say, oh, that's it. You're done. You're done completely. He said, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to take care of you. There are consequences to your actions, though. 
He says in 16, and you shall destroy all the peoples of the land your God delivers to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for it will be a snare to you. You know that we see in the Bible that God operates on many levels all the time. It's hard for us to understand that because we operate like this. We walk around in our lives like this, only seeing how God is operating in just our lives. And we have trouble understanding that the things that are happening in our lives are intersecting with other people's lives as well. In fact, a blessing or an obstacle in your life may be a blessing or an obstacle or a tool that God is using in someone else's life. So while it may be a blessing to you, it may be a challenge to somebody else that he's working on in that area as well. And what we see right here is God says, look, I'm not having you go in and destroy the people of the land because I hate them, because they're horrible, awful. Ultimately, they were horrible and awful people. But remember, we talked about the last couple of weeks that God gave them such a huge window of time for them to come to an understanding uh, of God and his nature and his uh, loving forgiveness. But it got to a point where God said, that is it now. That is it. And now I am going to use you, he says to the Israelites, as my tool to cleanse the land. So in addition to saying, uh, at the same time, I'll be fulfilling my promise to your forefathers, I'm also using you to go in and cleanse the land of iniquity. Right? And so it's important for us to remember because sometimes we feel like, man, I'm just, you know, why is this obstacle in my life? And God, why are you doing this thing? And understand that it's not all about you all the time. Even your own life isn't always all about you all the time. In fact, God may be saying, I'm using you to do something over here and you just can't see it. But because you are a willing and available tool in my hand, which I hope you are, I'm going to use you over here. You know, I, I, it just, it's important to remember that because otherwise you walk around saying, God hates me, God hates me, I must be doing something bad. You know, it is a good opportunity to examine yourself, but it's not always God punishing you. Sometimes he's saying, I'm using you to affect someone else's life. It's not all about you. How many times is it all about you? Never, probably. It's probably never all about you. It's almost always about me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see, where'd we leave off? Do you see why he says this too? Like, here's the other purpose. There's a, the other purpose. One of the other purposes that he says is go in and you need to clear the land from the iniquity that's there because they will be a snare to you. A snare to you. Do you know, I used to watch this show called Alone, you know, and where they take like a bunch of people and they stick them in this remote area and they have to live for like a hundred days with like a, a, a bow and arrow and that's it. Um, and a lot of them, they're outdoorsy like survival people. And so they set these snares in order to catch rabbits mostly. Um, and um, you know where they set them? You know, in, in pretty heavily traveled you know, almost obvious places they put these snares because they know that's where the rabbits are going to come through. And I, when, when I read this word snare here and I think, you know, the, the, the ways of the enemy, the iniquity of the people in, the, in this country that they're supposed to be wiped out, he says, if they're going to be, if you leave them there, they'll be a snare to you. They're going to be where you're going to be. They're going to be in the places that you're going to want to go to. You know, that you'll have to be very aware 
of the fact that there are snares. And, uh, and what we see is they end up like not completely cleansing the entire land. And throughout their history, the people, the inhabitants of the land that are left are uh, a snare over and over again. In fact, we see after Solomon, the kingdom splits and there are uh, kings of Judah and kings of Israel. And some of them are good and some of them are horrible, horrible, horrible kings. In fact, um, and I was reading in this morning in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 13, where it talks about uh, kind of the split there. It talks about the two kings, um, the king of Israel, Jeroboam, who was a bad king, and the king of Judah, Abijah. Abijah. Anybody that's uh, thinking about boy names? Abijah. You might have trouble finding one of them bracelets for later on t-shirt that says their name on it, but it's still a pretty cool name. Anyway, in chapter 13, see, Abijah goes up. He's got a, a, an army of 400,000 guys, right? And he's going to go into battle against Israel, who has 800,000 guys. Those are, those are crazy odds. But he goes up on top of a mountaintop, and he says, he yells out to the, the kingdom of Israel, to Jeroboam. He says, uh, look, you have forsaken God. You've gone away from God. You're actually, you're worshiping pagan gods. You've replaced all of God's priests with priests of your own making. You're a disgrace. And God, do not come to fight against us because we're here. We're the army of God right now. Well, Jeroboam, you know, they've gone completely off the rails. They've abandoned God. They've got uh, pagan idols, and they've replaced the priests, and, and they've got 800,000 guys, and they come around the mountain, and they, they sneak around. They, like, take half the army, and they come around the backside. It's like an ambush, right? And uh, so um, they're like, we're going to kill you. And um, uh, what's that guy's name? Abijah. Yeah, thank you. And um, he looks around, and he's like, are you guys ready to fight? And he looks around, and he sees that there's an army in back of him and an army in front of him. And they're like, oh, man, what do we do? And so they just start shouting out to God, blowing their trumpets. The priests are blowing their trumpets. And what does God do? He steps into that moment, and he wipes out 500,000 men of the army of Jeroboam. They're so freaked out that they just lost. Now the odds are shifted the other way, aren't they? It went from being twice as many guys as the uh, opposing army to having fewer than what they have, all because God said, I will honor this army because they honor me. And they all ran away, and then the army of Judah chased them all down and just defeated the entire army. But it wasn't because they were greater in number or mightier. It was because God stepped in and said, I will honor those who honor me, right? And we see that they, they have trouble going into this new land after you know, hundreds of years. They start to say, well, you know, those pagan gods, they're not so bad. And hey, look at those, look, what, I mean... <laughs> They start looking at the women of the other kingdom and be like, that's, they're really something. And they start intermarrying, which is what, you know, he has said, don't do that because there'll be a snare to you. He says, these nations are greater than you. Uh, so in verse 17, now he's, he's saying, you're going to go in. And he says, if you should say in your heart that these nations are greater than I, how can we dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well that the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. What's really interesting to me is right now, Moses uses the exact same words that the spies used to discourage the people originally. Remember, they came out and they said, oh my gosh, there's great walled cities and there's armies and they're bigger than us and they'll squash us like grasshoppers and we can't go in and 
and depose them from this land. And they discouraged the entire population to the point where then um, God said, okay, then you're, you're going to be disobedient and not go in, then you're going to wander. Moses takes those very same words. He says, if you get to that same place as your fathers were, and they said, the people are great there, and, they, and, and they're greater than us, the nations are greater. He says, no, don't worry. Because God is the one who's going to go in and deliver them to you. He will be the one who will dispossess them. He says, <clears throat> he says in verse 20, actually, this is kind of funny. Moreover, the Lord God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. He says, he says he'll send a, a hornet. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, Commentators go this way and that way. Oh, the hornet, it really means, you know, this or that or something. I looked it up in Hebrew. You know what it means? Well, close. Wasp. It's like God is saying, look, they seem like a great and an overcoming obstacle to you. But to me, I can squash them like a bug. There is nothing that God can't overcome. I mean, listen, I know. We all, if for some reason, it feels like the holiday times are the times when we feel like the pressure of life, right? All, all, it feels like it's magnified. All of the issues and things that we deal with on a regular daily basis, they just feel magnified at the time, like at Christmas time. I honestly believe that the enemy is trying to step in and say, I just, whatever joy you have, I'm just going to try and squash it down. I'm just going to lay on layers and layers of obstacle. And it can start to feel very overwhelming and very big. And God says, you know what, though? Um, I could squash it like a bug. We keep referring back to this song that says, you know, uh, cast your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. <sighs> that song gives me comfort. These words give me comfort to know that God says, there is nothing bigger than I. In fact, he says, uh, it says in Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? And it's not really a question, is it? He's saying, because God is for you, no one can defeat you. We hold on to that. And we remember that it's not us that's awesome. It's not us that's winning the battle. It's our complete reliance on God. He says, in 21, you shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. That word, among you, it means within. Within. That is especially true for us New Testament believers because we believe that we've got the power of God. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So wherever we go, he is within us. So when we start feeling and we start having that dark day of the soul, do you ever have one of those days where you just feel so oppressed. <laughs> he says, you've got the power of God, the Holy Spirit living within you. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified of the things that you're facing because you have the Lord your God, great and awesome, within you. So he goes on, he says, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Yeah, that's, that's not my favorite verse. I'm going to be honest. That verse is not my favorite verse. Because he's saying, look, I'm going to do the work. I'll do the work in your life, and I'll destroy the enemies in your life and the obstacles. 
but I'm not going to do it all at once. I'm do it little by little. And, and that's just not how I like to operate. I, I constantly tell God this. If you could give it to me all right now, all of it right now, it would, it would be amazing. I actually, you know, I wonder if that's why, you know, like when people win the lottery, that's not a great thing, is it? Now, people who win the lottery generally end up bankrupt within like two years. I wonder if it makes a difference if they take that full payment or if they spread it out little by little. I wonder. I didn't do that statistic, but I bet, I bet it does make a difference, you know? But, but he's saying, look, I'm going to overcome obstacles. I'm going to... By the way, I feel compelled to tell you that when we're talking about the promised land in the Old Testament, we're actually talking about the land that was promised to them that they were going to go in. But when we talk about the promised land in the life of a Christian now, you were not talking about heaven. We're talking about the abundant Christian life that God has promised. He says that Jesus said, look, the enemy comes to destroy and to kill and to cheat and to rob only. That's all he comes to do. Anyway, don't, the devil's not your friend. He's not your friend. He doesn't come to do anything good. Anything that looks like might be good coming from the devil, it's a lie. He comes only to kill and to cheat and to steal and destroy only. But Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. That's the promised land for the Christian. Heaven is heaven. Is heaven. The, the promised land is the abundant life of the Christian that's lived in Jesus. <clears throat> but there's a process sometimes, and it's little by little. But, but look at what he says here. He's not coming little by little to chasten you. He's coming little by little because in their case, if they just wiped out the entire land, there wasn't enough of them to keep the animals at bay. Right? And so God, because he knows everything, says, you know what, if I was to do that, it would be bad for you. If I gave you exactly what you think you want right now, it would be bad for you. It's the same for us. We said, there, Lord, if I did win the lottery, I swear, I'd only do good with it. Only do good. After I paid off my house and bought a car and did all these things, I would, then I would only, after that, I would only do good. After that, and God looks into our lives and he says, look, because I can see the beginning and the end, I know that wouldn't be good for you. I know you think it would be good, but it wouldn't be good for you. You know, when um, there was a couple of places that we looked at when we were looking for a church building, and, and some of them were much bigger than this place. Way more money to, to, to build it out, but we, we probably could have taken a weird, really horrible step of faith and done that. But, but um, the, and, and because there's a desire that says, well, if you build a really big church, then all, like, all sorts of people will come and it'll be filled and we'll be the next mega church, and wouldn't that be amazing? But yet here we are, incrementally growing into a space that God has given us, allowing us to grow together as a family of believers here, right? Now, I think that God is saying, look, if I gave you everything that you thought you wanted, it wouldn't be good. The wild beast would come in. You wouldn't be able to handle it. And so we are able to trust God for every step that we take. Trust God for every step. In 25, he says, you shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. Images, uh, and you shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared 
by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord, and nor shall you bring any of the abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You have to understand that they had a lot of these statues that were carved out of wood, but they were covered with gold and silver. And so you can imagine that they were coming like, okay, well, we have to destroy the statue. But after we chop down the statue and, and burn it all up and have all this you know, melted gold, can't we just keep the melted gold that was on these idols? And God says, no, you can't keep it. You can't keep this particular gold or silver. Now, there's going to be other, other spoils that he's going to allow, but specifically he says to them, when you tear down these idols and these things and you burn them and destroy them, don't keep the gold or the silver because he says it is an abomination to God. There are some things that God says, these things are an abomination to me. And we're like, well, why? Why, God? Did you ever say to your kids when they're like, why can't I do that? And you say, just because. Because I say so. And really what I'm saying is, look, I really don't want to have to explain every little thing. There are things that I can understand that you can't understand. And I'm trying to explain to you that the reason you can't eat French fries only for every meal is, well, because they're really fatty and they add a lot of calories and they will clog up your heart when you're older and all this bad stuff. Rather, we just say, no, you can't have French fries for dinner or for every meal as much as we really, let's get all right. And God says, look, this gold, this silver that's on these idols, it will be an abomination. It's an abomination. Avoid it. They don't do it, do they? Because in Joshua chapter 7, we read that when they took the city of Jericho, right? And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. They marched around and the walls fell down and they went in. There was all kinds of um, stuff in there. There was one guy, Achan, right? And Achan went in and it says that he uh, took of the accursed things, that's what it says, of the accursed things. I have a little note to myself from years ago where I wrote, well, what were they? What were these accursed things? Well, before I get to what they were, what we find out is that um, because of this, the Israelite army goes in to attack the city of Ai. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago? They send like 3,000 guys because like, ah, they're a little city. We don't need to even worry about this. And they go in and they get beat badly. And, and, and Joshua goes to God, and God says, there are accursed things in your camp. So they root it out. They find Achan. They pull him out, and they say, after a, a process of elimination, they find out that Achan is the one who took accursed things that he wasn't supposed to take, the things that were an abomination. And they said, well, what are they? What did you take? And it says here in, in, in verse 21, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And they, there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silvers underneath it. And so he took a silky bathrobe, gold and silver. Because he thought they looked nice. He liked the gold. He liked the silver. He took them and he buried them in his tent. And when you say, oh, well, I mean, those accursed things on their own aren't really accursed things, right? Garments, gold, silver, in and among themselves, those are not accursed things. But those are the things that God said, don't take. Now, the thing is that he knew he wasn't supposed to, not just because we've read it just before, but what did he do when he took them? 
Did he put them on and walk around camp going, look at my robe that I got and my gold and silver? What did he do? He buried them. He buried them in his tent because he knew he wasn't supposed to have them. He knew he wasn't supposed to do it, and he did it anyway. And here's my point. There's a lot of influence in our world right now. A lot of what I would call accursed things. But I'm not going to give you a list of the things that are an abomination or accursed things to God, because really what they are are just everyday things. When they become accursed is when we know that God is saying, that's not for you. And we're like, I'm just going to take it anyway. Right? Is your TV an accursed thing? Ah, It's just a TV. It's electronics. It's a screen. It's whatever. But if you turn it on and you're like, oh, I don't know, this isn't really a great show, but I've heard so much about it, I'm just going to watch it. Nobody will know. Turn the volume way down low. Put the subtitles on. You know what? It's a, now it's an accursed thing. It's an accursed thing. Is your computer, your laptop, your phone an accursed thing? <laughs> Some would say yes. It's just a thing, Right? But what are you looking at? What are you doing with it? What are you doing as God saying, you shouldn't be there? That's not what you're... Remember we talked about this idea of when you forget about what God tells you to do, you start to drift away into places where you shouldn't be, and all of a sudden you're on your phone, and maybe you're just going through Facebook, and then all of a sudden they have a little pop-up that says, hey, you know, naughty photos of vintage actors, and you're just like, "Mm, that's not me. A friend told me that one. (laughs) All of a sudden, you click on that, it's an accursed thing, and it's an abomination. And it will do exactly what the Bible says will do. It will destroy you. It will destroy you. So he warns them, because they're going to go into a land that's going to be filled with these temptations. They're going to go into a place where they just wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness with very little. They're going to go in, and they're going to be handed a lot property and, and, all, and gold and silver and land and vineyards and, and oil presses, none of which they had anything to do with. They didn't build or plant or harvest any of it, but it's going to be given to them. So he warns them. He says in verse 1 of chapter 8, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble and to test you. There's a difference. See, who he's talking to right now are this new generation, many of whom were actually alive at the time. I remember God said, it's only those of you who are 20 years older or older that are going to pass away. So everybody 19 years and younger then, you know, they're like 59 years old and younger at this point, right at this time. He says, look, God had you all walking around, not to chastise you or to punish you, but to humble you and test you so that when you go into this land and you are a great and mighty people in the fact that you will be given the victory over all of these armies, you don't start thinking very highly of yourself. In fact, what he's going to go on to say is, I'm reminding you that every single day of those past 40 years, you were dependent on me, God says, for your very survival. The food that you ate, I gave you every single morning in the form of manna. You know, that continued the entire 40 years. Every day they had to go out and collect just one day's worth of manna in order to feed their families. If they tried to collect more, 
it turned to worms. Except on Friday, because for the, for the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to work, and so God would allow a double portion to be collected. It was like 80,000 tons of manna dropping from the sky, so they'd go out and collect it up and feed their family for two days. Every time they needed water, he would provide water. He's reminding them that while we were together in the wilderness for 40 years, I provided for you. You were dependent on me every single day. And he says, uh, then he goes on and he says that he might make you know know that man shall not live by bread alone, but but." lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You remember that? We talked about these couple of verses, right? When Jesus is out in the wilderness after his baptism and Satan comes and tries to tempt him, he's 40 days it says that he's weak and he's hungry and Satan says, hey, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if you really are the son of God, then just turn these stones to bread and mow down. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, his favorite book of the Bible from what I can see. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it's right here, this verse. And he's saying that to them and to us, the word of God needs to be so important to us that we couldn't go a single day without it, not a single day. So here's the challenge. Here's the question for you. If someone were to come to you tomorrow and say, I'm going to take your Bible, I'm going to take every online reference you have to Scripture, every opportunity you have to look at God's Word. We're going to take it away. You no longer have it. Would your life be the same as it is right now? Or would it be affected drastically? Because if you're not sitting here thinking, man, if I didn't have the Word of God, I, I don't know how I'd survive. Well, then you're living on things other than the words of God that proceed from His mouth. He's saying, you need to be desperate for it. Let me give you a, an example. You remember when, um, when COVID first hit? Yes, everybody? No? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> and all of a sudden, for some weird reason, and I still do not understand, toilet paper went away. Yeah. What, gone, it was gone. You couldn't get it. You go into the store and it's all gone. And there's like, you know, like uh, uh, people with, with uh, storehouses filled with toilet paper. I'm like, what is going on in your life that you need a warehouse full of toilet paper? <laughs> but all of a sudden there was this feeling like, like, you go into the store and you think, because I, I, I remember, I was like, ah, oh, this is silly. And I went in and, and like you go into the store and there's nothing on the shelves. Even like the kind that's really rough was Gone. <laughs> gone. No quilted, no two, one ply, sandpaper, gone. Every store you go to, I started, there was nothing there. And I was like, and actually I remember we had, you know, it was like Julie was going out really early in the morning and going and buying, and then she would come and it would be like some clandestine handoff. It'd be like, she'd walk up and be like, and I would take it and go and like run into my house really quick and lock the door, but it was that feeling like, oh my goodness, what happens if we don't have toilet paper? It's a kind of an irrational fear because, you know, anyway. <laughs> um, that irrational fear of, oh my goodness, what if I don't have this? Do you have that when it comes to the word? If someone said, we're just doing away with the Bible altogether, you, have, you don't get it anymore. Would you have that 
check in your heart that says, oh my goodness, how can I not have this? How can I not have this? You need to examine your life, examine yourself, look at this and say, could, could, could I go without it? Could I go without it? You shouldn't be able to go without it. And then he reminds him in verse four, he says, your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell for 40 years. Do you know that? Is that a new verse to you? Do you know that that entire time they're in the wilderness, God did not allow their clothes to wear out? How many of you actually have clothes in your closet that are 40 years old? (laughs) Yeah, some of you, I can hear it. You know, fashion is, you know, that's right, cyclicaler, cyclicaler. Like stonewashed mom jeans are in right now. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I saved those. God did not allow their clothes to wear out. This is significant to me, especially this week. I got to be honest. That sounds like a weird phrase to say from the pulpit of a church. Uh, let me be honest. Now I'm going to be honest. The last couple of weeks have been hard. The last couple of weeks have been hard. We lost John, but through that, we ministered to his family a lot. And I went through things with that family that I've never gone through before in any capacity, but had to be there as a strong, comforting presence. It was hard. And I work also. And, and we had things going on here. And I were, there, were, there were moments where I was like, I just... I'm so worn out. And and God, through this verse, he really stepped up into my life. and He said, you're tired, I get it. But you're not worn out. I I said to Jeff this morning, you know what? I felt very threadbare. But I wasn't worn out. God said to me, I'm not going to let you worn out. As long as you're being obedient to me, I will not let you wear out. He also reminded me in Isaiah where it says that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Uh, there are days that I feel like a bruised reed and a, you know, like a candle that just barely has a little bit of light just flickering up, and I feel like God goes like this, and he just protects that flame, and he says, I will not let you wear out. It wasn't all hard stuff. It wasn't all sad or sorrow these last couple of weeks. You know, we also uh, are getting ready for Christmas. We had our volunteer Christmas party. It was hilarious. And we were laughing and having a good time. And, uh, and it was great. And what God showed me is that it, there can be, a, you know, in Ecclesiastes, it says there is a time to, to, to weep and a time to laugh. And God told me last night, he said, sometimes those things happen in the same week. Sometimes they happen in the same room. There is a time for both. And you know what he reminded me of? He says, you know what? I am the God of the hills and the valleys. The hills and the valleys. That means that when you're up on the mountaintop and you're having a blast like we were doing Friday night and laughing it up and eating food and joking around, God was there. But when we're down and I'm in a hospital room and I'm watching a friend breathe his last breath and watching his children weep over his body, and God was there too. And he says, I'm there at the hilltop and in the valley, and as long as you are obedient to me, I will not let you wear out. Oh, I've been having to hold on to that verse a lot 
the last couple of weeks. And you know what, honestly? I don't think that that was the end of it. I think that God is saying, you know what, your life is going to be peaks and valleys, and I'm going to be with you through all of it. And it's not just me. I know a lot of you are going through peaks and valleys, valleys and, and, and dry places, and God is like, I'm with you through all of it. You stay obedient to me, and I'm with you through all of it. And you shall know in their heart that as a man chastens his son, so God chastens you. You know what the thing is? Like God steps in and he says, look, I need to correct action in your life. There's some things going on that I need to address. I need to correct. But he says, I don't do it as someone who's, who's, who's mean, mean as, a, as a father chastens his son. So how many of you parents, let's just say parents right here. How many of you parents have kids? <laughs> when you have to chastise your children, is it because you're 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 um, mean? Don't ask your kids that. I'm asking you. Is it because you're mean? No, it's because you want the best for your children. I correct behavior because I want them to. Uh, I want it to be well with them. Right? And so God says, I'm not chastening, I'm not correcting you uh, because I'm mean, because I know you. You know, I, I, actually, I'm reminded of like when I, when I turned 17 years old, I so desperately wanted a car, right? And there was this one really sketchy car lot in my town where, you know, and this was like a long time ago. And uh, there was one car there, and I didn't care what the car was. I cared that he was going to sell it to me for $350. So you can imagine how long ago that was. Um, and I had exactly $350. So I was like, this is it. I'm going to get the car. And my dad says, well, I better check it out. I was like, no, no, it's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to check it out. And he goes, no, no, I, I, better, I better come and look at it with you. And so he gets in the car, and it was like it was this little hatchback, and I forget what it was exactly, but we're driving around, and I'm like, see, doesn't it drive good? Doesn't it drive great? And he lifts up the floor mat, the floor mat, and sees the road <laughs> underneath. <laughs> and in case you don't know, that's bad. You want car underneath the floor mat. And he says, you're not buying this car. You're, you're, it's not safe. You're not going to buy this car. And I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, you just don't want me to have a car. Because I was super wise. At 17 years old, I was really wise. And I was like, you just don't want me to have it. And I was really mad at my dad. And I look back and think, what a fool I was. I'm going to buy a car, that the Fl like the Flintstone car. <laughs> hey, come on in. Don't put your feet down, though. You might end up back there. But I thought he was just being mean. He just didn't want me to have it for some reason. It's so stupid. He just wanted me to be safe. He wanted to correct really dumb behavior. You know, later on, they actually, they gave me a car later on. And it was amazing. My, you know, it was a gift. My grandma came down and, and it was an amazing, it was way better than anything that I could have ever done for myself. Way better. And this is what God is saying. What I have for you is way better. I mean, you may not be right now, 
Uh, be, and, and I may have to correct some faulty thinking in you right now, but what I have for you is so much better. So much better. <laughs> they just need to grab a hold of that. Where did I leave off? <laughs> Sorry. All right. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. That really is the promised land right there, right? You can eat as much bread as you want. Bread for everyone without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing in the land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you will can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, and then you, will, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Do you see what he says right there? It's so important because in the last chapter it says, you know what, when are we most susceptible to forgetting God? When we've eaten and we're full when we're completely satisfied, when we have everything that we need, we are most likely to say, whew, how many of you say grace at the beginning of Thanksgiving meal? Not, not enough of you. Everyone put up your hand. That's right. How many of you say grace and thank God after the meal is over? See, that's what he's saying. He's like, when we're done with the meal and we're satisfied and we're full, and we're like, oh man, that was good. Time for football. And God says, you're welcome. Right? So he's warning them and he says, you're going to go into a land and it's going to be amazing. And it has everything, not just everything you need, but amazing things that you haven't even thought about. I wonder if they're even thinking about that. Oh man, you mean we're going to be able to dig copper right out of the ground? Things that they hadn't even thought about. Bread. They've been eating manna for 40 years. Now he's saying olive oil and, and real bread and, and, and fruit and honey and milk. When you are eaten in full, you, you shall bless the Lord your God and give. He says, when you are full and you've eaten, you will bless the Lord. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. Do not forget. What does that mean? Don't set aside the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you to stay. Lest when you have eaten and are full, you have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. And when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fled, fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he mighty, might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. And then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. Do you see what happens? They're like, Lord, if you could just bless us with prosperity, that would be amazing. And God says, okay. And he gives you everything. And somewhere down the line, you're like, I'm amazing. Look at all that I've accomplished. I'm awesome. That's what God says. 
will happen if you lose sight of, if you set aside the one who's actually blessed you with everything that you have. If you forget that, you will then start to take it on yourself and say, well, look, at, look at all I've done. Look at all that I have. I'm amazing. I'm amazing. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his... Co- you know, look at that verse right there. He's given you the power to get wealth. You know what that means? He's made it... He's made you able to go and work. But then you get into a job and you start doing well. And you get promoted and you get promoted and get promoted. And pretty soon you're running the place. And you're looking around going, well, I know God got me started. But I got myself here. I pulled myself up and, and uh, check me out. <laughs> Every step. Every step, God says, I've made it so that this can happen for you. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day, you shall surely perish. Do you see what he's saying right there? You have to understand that God, remember we talked about the pagan nations that are in this land. Wasn't that God said, all right, we're just going to get rid of them. Just get rid of them. They mean nothing to me. Remember he said, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years I will give them, but their iniquity will come to full and that will be the time that then they will brush them out. He says that they will spend hundreds of years worshiping pagan gods. And because I am, God says, because I am a 100% just and righteous God, I must deal with this. He says, if you go that same way, God must deal with you that way. Because he is righteous. If he turned a blind eye to your iniquity, if he turned a blind eye to your sin, then he would not be just and righteous. But God is just and righteous. And so he says, if you deal in the same way that they are, then I must deal with you in the same way that I've dealed, dealed, dealt with them. As the nations which I, the Lord, destroys before you, you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And that's where he's, he's going to continue to go on. We're not going to today. Well, he's going to continue to go on. He's gonna, they're, getting, they're getting close to the point where he's going to send them in. But he's like, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. But there are going to be so many things there that are going to be tempting you and that you're going to want to take the credit for yourself. And that's going to then cause you to set me aside. And that is not going to go well with you. And he says, I've given you all of these things so that it may be well with you, so that your land will be blessed, that your families will be blessed, your fields, your livestock will be blessed. And he does it because I've chosen you because you're awesome. No. You guys listening before? I started with that part. No, because why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And frankly... I think what God does is he says, look, I'm going to take the lowliest, smallest, most unable person and do great things through them so that people will look at them and say, that must be God. 
Because I know that guy. He got nothing. It must be God. Right? And I'm happy. I'm happy that someone would see me and say, man, look at that guy. God is awesome. I'm happy to just be a tool, right? We often talk about God. It's not your ability. It's your availability, right? Are you available, right? I, I read in a book the other day, um, a guy was saying, look, the, the, these two pastors were talking, um, and one said, well, I know we have Jesus, but does Jesus have us? Yeah. Now, there's a difference. Like, you can go through your whole Christian walk and say, I have Jesus, and that's great. But does he have you? Have you turned your life over to him and said, just use me however you want to use me. Bless me however and what level you want to bless me. And I just want to be used by the great creator. Right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. But I thank you for these words today, Lord. I thank you for the... Honestly, I thank you for the failings of the Israelites because they helped me to learn. I'm blown away by your compassion and your patience, your long-suffering, Lord. I thank you so much that you looked at them and said, I love you enough that I'm going to correct you. I love you enough that I'm going to choose you out of the least of all people. Lord, I thank you that you looked down on us and said, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for you because that is the only way now that you can come into the holy presence of God. And he came for me. He came for me. And he came for you too. Lord, I thank, you for, I thank you that you sent Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we go out of this place today that we would take a couple of things with us, Lord. I pray that we would take... A look at our own lives and say, could I live my life just the way it is if I didn't have the word of God? Lord, I hope that's not true. Lord, I pray that you would put a desire in each one of our hearts to want to open up your word, to walk with you, to spend time with you, to know you deeply and intimately. Lord, remind us of how not awesome we are so that we can only depend on you and be happy to do it, happy to serve. Lord, we thank you so much. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.